Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hello, my precious freak. Am I your precious freak? Of course you are. Okay. You're my precious freak. Yay. Oh, I'm glad that you still love me. I do still. I always loved you. <laughs> Even before we met each other. <laughs> at uh, at work now, they're starting to be concerned about you. Why, and, why is that? Um, well, because I tell them uh, horrible stories, and uh, then they get this idea that uh, I'm not nice to you. Like, <laughs> For example? Um, well, we were talking about the the sleeveless shirt of yours. Uh, that I uh, took care of for you. Yeah, right. You and froze it. You soaked it in water and put it in the freezer. Right. And yeah. then uh, we were talking about uh, the Black Ice War. The Black Ice War. We came to a truce after a while, but uh, that Did went we? on for over a year. Oh, yeah. The Black Ice War was based on the idea that both of us hate the smell of the air freshener called Black Ice. Yeah, it's one of those pine tree car fresheners, but it's uh, it, it's a, it's not a pine scent. It's no, black ice. It it smells like a like a it smells like a frat teenager's boy. cologne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I do not care for it. No, um, I uh, don't either. Yeah, no. Uh, so it ended up in in our cars. You would you would borrow my car to go run an errand, and then when you brought it back, there would be a black ice car freshener hanging from the uh, rear view mirror. Right. Or when you dropped it off to like get it worked on, I would go over to the 
uh, mechanic and put it in there yep. while it was getting worked on. Or and, and it gradually accelerated over the months where it got to a point where um, you opened your car door at one, at one point and there were like 15 of them hanging from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. just taped them up. There's a picture I have of your rear view mirror that you actually ripped off of the windshield <laughs> yep. in an effort to get the black eyes <laughs> off of it. I was um, a little overly enthusiastic. <laughs> and then we started hiding them. It, it yeah. became a thing. Yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah. So anyway, people think that I'm awful to you. <laughs> well, I was I was participating in that. That was a war. Now I'm afraid I need to go check my truck before I leave for work in the what? morning. No, you're yeah. fine. Okay. All right. Ash Marie left a really nice uh, review for us. It says, uh, it's the podcast I wish my husband and I had thought of first. Truly, I came across the box of oddities quite early on and have loved listening to the format evolve. Mm. Um, I can't wait to see it live for the first time in my hometown in February. Oh, she's must be from Nashville. So cool. She then says that uh, she was very disappointed to find out that the VIP tickets had sold out before she got to them. Yeah, they did sell out uh, last week. Right. And um, we actually got uh, a note from Zanies Comedy Nightclub in Nashville, where we will be performing, um, that they were able to move some things around. Yes. And add just a few more VIP seats. There are 10 pair available. They will be anyway. Ten pair available, and Zanies is going to release them Wednesday? Wednesday at noon, I think. Wednesday, Wednesday at noon. That's Eastern time. Noon Eastern, which is, what's the date? That's the 5th, right? Wednesday the 5th. Which is so cool that they were able to do that for us, and, and we're thrilled. Um, so, yeah, uh, VIP tickets, a very slight number of them, uh, available Wednesday at noon. Thanks, Zanies. You can go to our website, theboxofoddities.com, click on the live show link, and uh, get them that way. But again, there's only 10 pair, and uh, they've made it very clear that these are the last ones. Yeah. They don't have any more room. But that was nice of them to do, I thought. Absolutely, and there are still regular tickets available. Yes, yes, there are. Also, we decided we're going to get a P.O. box because people have been requesting uh, our address so that they can send us stuff, which is amazing and awesome, and we thank you. But... I can't. I can't tell you where I live. <laughs> it is hard to find. We've had to like talk so many people into our driveway. It's on an uh, island, so it's a little hard to get to. You have to go across a causeway, and then there's about eight different roads. Stop that, giving directions oh, to our house. Okay, never mind. All right, I'm just gonna dive into this today. We're gonna talk about um, an anomaly. I love anomalies. I have gathered information for this from uh, Thought Catalog, Wikipedia, The Unredacted, and Boredom Therapy. In the sky, in a polar orbit, is a most unusual object. We don't know what it is. I don't know what a polar orbit is. A polar orbit, it's like a retrograde polar orbit, which means that, well, if you if you picture a globe uh-huh. and you envision satellites going around the globe, they're going around the equator. Right. Okay, this one goes... It's like top to bottom? Yeah, it goes top it's to a, bottom. It's a vertical uh, kind of... It's it's an up and down kind of orbit. Yeah, as opposed to a round and round. Love will find a way, just give it time. It's some sort of a a mysterious satellite. And when I say satellite, that can mean a couple of different things. It implies man-made. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is man-made. Right. But many people think that it is intelligently designed, maybe not man-made, 
but intelligently designed. It's called the Black Knight Satellite. And the theory is, it is an alien satellite that's been orbiting the Earth in this retrograde polar orbit for 13,000 years. Oh, See, I thought you meant maybe it was like a Heath Ledger satellite. Now, there have been throughout the years indications that this thing has been uh, sending signals to Earth. For example, and I mentioned this briefly once when I was doing an episode on uh, Tesla, that uh, when he was set up in Colorado Springs, he had built a, a large magnifying transmitter to further his investigations into wireless distribution of electricity. Mm-hmm. This, this was his, his dream was to be able to, like radio waves, broadcast electricity. Right. And he began to receive these mysterious signals in his equipment, electrical impulses. I remember you talking about that, yeah. yeah. And this, was, of course, was, this was 1899. So it was long before there were any radios out there producing any kind of signal. And so he thought that they were from alien origin, specifically Mars. He was convinced that uh, these signals were coming from Mars. But many people say that uh, perhaps what he was receiving was some sort of uh, an electrical impulse or message from the Dark Knight satellite. Now, keep in mind, Tesla, you know, he was a genius. He he was not a stupid man, and he eliminated any possible terrestrial uh, interference or disturbance sure. that, that might be causing this. And uh, he was he was pretty convinced that uh, these were from uh, this, these were of alien origin. Now, what you're OK, you're going to tell me all this stuff. Go ahead. Oh, I don't know. What, what's your question? I want to know why we don't know what it's made of. I mean, if it's been. Uh, tootling around for that many years um, we can see you know other universes but we can't see what this thing's made of how does that make sense well it's in that weird polar orbit so it's very hard to get to for one thing there are pictures online that people say is like bigfoot style pictures no they're actually from nasa nasa says it's space debris but people say this is you know, including some astronauts, they have said that they have seen this and then would retract their stories later. It, oh. It's all weird. Again, back, you know, around the turn of the of the uh, 20th century, Marconi was experimenting using radio to transmit Morse code signals. Mm-hmm. And to his amazement, he found that uh, some of the Morse code messages that he sent would come back to him. They would be returned to him, sometimes just a a day or two later, sometimes years later. Interesting. And this caused a, you know, a pretty big, pretty big stir. At that time, people were really interested in uh, whether or not there was a civilization on Mars. And so that's Percival Lowell had uh, discovered what he thought were canals Mm -hmm. on Mars and that indicated or implied intelligent design. So Mars mania was... uh, Yeah, it was a big thing. Was a big thing. Now, those discoveries were a pretty big deal, but uh, 30 years went by without anybody really following up on it. Until uh, a guy named Jürgen Halls, who was a civil engineer in Oslo in 1927, he was uh, he was using early commercial radio receivers, and uh, he was listening to shortwave transmissions, and he noticed uh, some some weird things. The signals were being reflected back down by something in irregular 
interval. Sometimes it was three seconds, sometimes it was it was 15. He called them long delayed echoes or LDEs. The echoes were certainly real, but nobody really has any idea what caused them. They still don't know. I mean, there's theories, sure. but but nobody knows for sure. And there have been many experiments about it. They suggest it's something of natural origins. Now, fast forward to 1954. A story appeared in a magazine, Aviation Week and Space Technology, suggested that the U.S. military discovered what appeared to be two artificial satellites in polar orbit. And this was about three years before Sputnik mm -hmm. was launched. So there were no artificial satellites in 1954. But according to this story, the military had discovered two mysterious satellites in Earth's orbit. Allegedly, the Pentagon was pretty upset about the story. They didn't want people to know about it. And so they came out with an explanation pretty quickly that it was just they were asteroids. Okay. And what gave people the idea that they're giving an explanation meant that they were covering something up other than the fact that people like conspiracies? Well, people like conspiracies. Oh, okay. Thank you for clearing you're, that up. You're welcome. <laughs> I guess the reason is because it's certainly possible for Earth's orbit to capture an asteroid. It's extremely rare and only happens under very unusual circumstances. And so many people just kind of, you know, poo-pooed the Pentagon's explanation on that. Okay. Another explanation was that the Russians had managed to somehow launch a satellite three years earlier. Without us knowing. Without us knowing. That's a possibility, although there's been no evidence of that and there are no records of that. In 1957, by late 1957, the Soviets had launched uh, their second satellite. Spot Tubernik. No, Sputnik. Sputnik. Sputnik 2. <laughs> um, and, and that carried um, a little dog. Yeah. The dog was called uh, Leica. Now, according to Soviet resources, Sputnik 2 was being tracked in space by uh, an object that was neither of the Russians or American design. Of course, U.S. hadn't put anything in space at that point. Tracked meaning that it followed. was being followed? It was being followed. In 1960, U.S. Navy's dark fence radar system uh, detected uh, a big black object in polar orbit around the Earth, possibly weighing as much as uh, 15 tons. And what was odd about that in particular was that neither the Soviets or the U.S. had the ability to put any kind of object into a polar orbit. Technically, we did not have that capability back mm -hmm. then. We could put things into, you know, what we would consider a regular orbit, the Clark Belt. Sure. Uh, but, but we could not do polar orbits back then. The Black Knight satellite would occasionally make an appearance. Amateurs would catch it, you know, in their telescopes from time to time. Mm-hmm. But it was very unpredictable. It would vanish for long periods of time uh, before repeating uh, its its orbit years later. It's not like you can look up at a certain time and it's there. And so there have been some interesting theories what it is and why it's there. The most intriguing one, uh, or one of the most, comes from Stanford science scientist Ronald Bracewell. Bracewell's idea was that a civilization could send a probe out into the universe looking for planets that could potentially evolve intelligent life. Okay. When they'd find one, the satellite would go into orbit and stay dormant until it started detecting radio waves coming from the planet, and that would wake it up. Who is to say that intelligent life would necessarily come up with 
radio waves. Some sort of... That just seems like a big assumption. I think the idea is that uh, once technology reaches a certain point, that there would be some sort of uh, fingerprint, some okay. sort of uh, signals or disturbance in the atmosphere. You know, And so that theory is called uh, a Bracewell probe, and it's kind of an interesting idea. So Bracewell probe, is that a possibility? There was a Scottish science writer and an amateur astronomer. His name was uh, Duncan Lunan, and he went back to re-examine the data that was produced by the long-distance echo experiments in 1928. Mm -hmm. He had a hunch that there was some sort of a, a message in this that could be decoded. And so he created this graph, and he discovered what he thought was the pattern of a constellation. The constellation is called Butes. It's a constellation in the northern sky, and there are a lot of, a lot of stars in it. One is a binary star system called Epsilon Buddhist, and he claims to have decoded a message from its inhabitants. And this is what he said it said. Okay. Quote, start here. Our home is Epsilon Buddhist, which is a double star. We live on the sixth planet of seven coming from the sun, which is the larger of the two. Our sixth planet has one moon. Our fourth planet has three. Our first and third planets have one. Our probe is in the position of Arcturus, known in our maps. Epsilon Butis is a real star, and he argued the message originated from a planet that orbited another star in the Butis constellation. That, of course, being Epsilon Butis. Um, some people believe that uh, these events can be explained by non-organic sources, non-human-made objects or natural phenomena. But it starts to add up to a very interesting theory. In 1998, some pretty compelling visual evidence of the existence uh, emerged. A crew from the space shuttle Endeavour managed to uh, take a picture of it. It's an official NASA photo. They claim it's space debris, like I had mentioned before. Mm -hmm. The astronauts weren't so sure. They thought it looked like it was following them. But then later, those accounts were uh, recanted. Okay. As if NASA said, no. No, you can't say that. Or if they got back to Earth and went, you know what? Now that I think about it, I was a little stir crazy. <laughs> well, there have been, been all kinds. my own pee for years. <laughs> and other people's pee as well. Right. Yeah. But even in the early days of space exploration, the, uh, the astronauts saw some pretty unusual things. For example, in 1963, Gordon Cooper... He was, um, he was in the Mercury space capsule, and he reported seeing an object near his craft that glowed with a greenish hue. When he got back to Earth, NASA would not allow him to talk to the press. They would not let the press near him. Mm -hmm. They just released a statement saying that it was uh, a carbon monoxide leak in the capsule, and it caused Cooper to uh, hallucinate. But the weird thing is they wouldn't let anybody talk to him about it. A couple of years after that, Major James McDivitt, he was in Gemini 4, and he was coming over Hawaii in orbit, and he saw what he said was a long, white, cylindrical object with protruding angular arms flying close to his capsule. In 1969, Apollo 11, most famous flight of all, saw something strange out of the module window. Uh, Buzz Aldrin described it as a glowing object outside that appeared to be tracking Apollo's path. This was the first moon landing. At the time, uh, NASA kept the encounter secret, and the astronauts could only make oblique references to it in their communications. Buzz Aldrin in 2005 said there was something uh, out there close enough to be observed. What could it be? 
Space garbage. It was too early for space garbage. Eh, it's Did- never too early for space garbage. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. For years, we've been like, what are we going to do with this? <sighs> Gordon Cooper said, For many years I have lived with a secret, in a secrecy imposed on all specialists in astronautics. I can now reveal that every day in the USA, our radar instruments capture objects of form and composition unknown to us. He said that in 1981. How old was he then? Well, that was 20 years after his flight, so he's probably mid-40s, something like that. Okay. When you think of senility had set in and uh, he was just a doddering old space going fool. I'm just saying that, you know, people of all types encounter problems mentally mm-hmm. and that's uh, it's normal. Oh, okay. I found it interesting that the theory is that it's been orbiting for 13,000 years. And I wanted to know how we knew it had been orbiting for 13,000 years. Right. How's that number come? I, it, I cannot find a source for that anywhere. Huh. Yeah. That's so weird that you wouldn't be able to find a source for that kind of information. Stop taunting. I'm not taunting. I am simply stating I am shocked. <laughs> they probably just didn't get around to writing it down. Probably, yeah. That's, you know. Yeah. One of the most popular theories, of course, is that it's of alien origin. Of course. And that it's uh, kind of like a, a message in a bottle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the the Voyager gold disc message that Carl Sagan and, and many of his colleagues put together uh, that kind of tells the story of the human race. And, yeah. and in fact, Carl Sagan called it a message in a bottle. Yeah, I think um, Regatta de Blanc, Blanc that Reg- did go gold, right? No, that was a gold record? You're, you're, okay, I see what you're doing. Regatta de Blanc is the police album that had message in a bottle. And you're right. Actually, it went platinum. Very well done, though. Thank you. A bit of a stretch, but a clever stretch. I'm sorry. You just keep saying police-related things and then a gold record. I mean, it doesn't feel like a stretch to me. <clears throat> of course, it could be a natural satellite, but it's much more fun to assume that it's not. Right. Mm-hmm. And that it's of some sort of intelligent design. Now, the alien theory I like, that's cool, but I like this one even better. Ooh, There's a theory that suggests that the origin of the Black Knight satellite is not alien, but actually an ancient human creation. Oh, you do love the ancient humans. Yep. yep. The idea is that uh, an ancient race of humans... Was it from Atticus? Atlas? Atlantis. Atlantis? Uh, Perhaps. It could be. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't humans. Maybe it was a non-human animal that had reached a, a level of intelligence that... Yeah. Lemurs love satellites. Lemurs do love satellites. Thank you. <laughs> but the idea, of course, is that they became scientifically advanced to the point where they could put something in orbit and then destroy themselves. Sure. And I love that idea. That's why we need the Georgia Guidestones. Exactly. Because it's yeah. likely to happen again. It's probably already happening and we don't know it yet. Anyway, the Black Knight satellite, there you go. We report, you decide. I love it. <laughs> now, you know, I'm... I'm I'm having the funsies. I'm giving you a little bit of grief, but of course I'm open to uh, all the theories. I love hearing about what people come up with. It's it's amazing to me. I may I like to my, think of myself as agnostic in all the ways. Uh-huh. Like I don't assume that I know everything about anything. Right, except British baking competition shows. Even that, I'm still learning. <laughs> You want to see a picture of the Black Knight satellite? This is the NASA photo. Sure. It's an official NASA photo. They're saying that, that it's space debris, but... Oh, th- my goodness. Yeah, look at how it's skulking behind the trees that way. Oh, wait. No, no. That's my Bigfoot evidence. 
that is <clears> not. <throat> Here, it's this one. Isn't that interesting, though? Yes, that looks like space debris to me. It, well, yeah, because you're an expert in space debris. I did an entire topic on the box of oddities regarding space debris. So now you're an expert. Okay, great. I've just, <laughs> I've just said I do not dismiss things. I know, I'm open. I know. But look, look, I'm, I'm zooming in on this photo. Look, mm-hmm. look, you can see a window and there's a little guy in there waving at you. Yes, he's a v- big furry man. No, he's not. He looks he's like... <laughs> Bigfoot is not in space. That's stupid. Did you accidentally summon me? No, no Siri. No, Siri. Thank I said you. that's stupid. Anyhoozle, that's what I got for you. You know, someday I'm going to say, what was that thing that you talked about? I don't know what it was, like the, uh, the Hugh Jackman space thing. And you're going to go... <sighs> We were going to call this segment Kevin, but it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it That Thing in the Middle. That Thing in the Middle, Uber drivers reveal the strangest things that were left in their cars. I'm guessing a lot of the things that are left in their cars you cannot see. They're microbial. Mm. I have to start because I have a clear favorite in this list. This list delights me in all the ways, by the way. Okay. But my favorite, I can't stop thinking about what this might mean mm-hmm. and what it is, and I want to create one of my very own. Okay. Is a sweet potato care package. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, a sweet, sweet potato po- care package. <laughs> all right. It could mean so many things. Number four, a dildo and a Bible. Was the Bible like cut out? <laughs> like, like like smuggling a dildo right. into church? <laughs> Number three, a bulletproof vest. No, you, you're going to need that. Number two, cornhole boards. <laughs> You'd think that would be difficult to miss. How do you misplace cornhole boards? I don't know. I want to play cornhole. And number one, a cape. A cape? Uh-oh. Like a superhero cape? No one's getting saved tonight. Oh, no. Nope. Can't you see Superman showing up at uh, like a scene of a crime, feeling around like he's looking for his keys, and he realizes, oh, shit, I left my cape in the Uber. I'm just wearing tights. You got your box. You got your oddities. Talk about your perfect storm. This is the Box of Oddities. We got this uh, email from Janelle. She said, hey there, I love the Cheddar Man episode. When Kat started singing, can't find a Cheddar Man, I almost spit my coffee out. (laughs) Can't find a Cheddar Man. About a month ago, I found this amazing parody lunch meat label. Oh, I remember the first time I found my first. I remember the first time I found. I remember when I found my first amazing parody lunch meat mate. Fuck! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I found my first amazing parody lunch meat mate. Lunch meat label. Great um, job, sweetie. Thanks. Uh, she said, my man eats ham. And she, then she said in parentheses, that would be a great title for an adult version of Sam I Am. <laughs> she said, she printed out, I printed out the fake label. I put it on the cover of his ham lid and set it back into the refrigerator and nothing. Not a groan, not a smirk. Sheesh. Now, just to spite him, I burst out with my best Eddie Vedder voice singing, can't find a better ham. And Jeremy smoked ham. <laughs> 
just Jeremy smoked ham makes me laugh <laughs> so much. She said, maybe I can make a freak flag out of ham. Uh, thanks, Janelle. And then she sent a, a photo of the amazing parody meat lunch label. Uh, Eddie Vedder's Can't Find a Better Ham. It's so good. That is so good. Jeremy smoked ham. All right. It is your turn, girlfriend, chicky babe. This is something that I find incredibly interesting and I don't think that I know enough about. And so I was doing some poking about and I found that there is far too much of this topic for us to go over in just one episode, but I thought I'd touch upon it okay. anyway. Okay. You remember the show, How the States Got Their Shapes? Yes. I loved that, that show. Was, that was great. And I would like to watch more of it. Thank you very much. Okay. And I got to thinking about that show and I missed that show. And then I thought, what about states that have been proposed that we don't have? Failed Statehoods. Aha. Like Jefferson? Like Jefferson. Yay. We'll just start there. Okay, it's 1859, and in the Kansas Territory, mining communities in the Rocky Mountains came together, and they said, we want our own state. We want to call it Jefferson. So the Kansas government agreed, and they set proposed borders east of Jefferson's. Um, It moved quite a ways along in creating the, the statehood, however... Citizens of that region could not agree on a constitution. Um, so time went on. It became Jefferson Territory. Uh-huh. And then it kind of just petered out and people just went back to regular Kansas life. That's amazing. So they were this close to having their own state of Jefferson. Yeah. And then it becomes the territory of Jefferson. Right. And then they stop calling it. They start calling it Jeff, you know. Yeah. And then it was back to Kansas. J-Man. J. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Jefferson is actually a very popular name for proposed states. Really? Texas uh, had talked a couple of times about splitting up in certain ways, um, creating a state of Jefferson. Hmm. This came up in several instances. Texas couldn't decide exactly how it was going to go, but they knew they wanted to call themselves Jefferson, uh, but none of them worked out. Then a mix of counties from Northern California and Southern Oregon proposed in 1941 that they form their own state called Jefferson. <laughs> why hasn't any why hasn't at least one of these Jefferson state proposals succeeded? I feel like <laughs> succeeded. <laughs> right? Because we'll get on to that. Well, that's succeeded. Anyway, supporters in the area actually marched uh, with guns, passed out flyers proclaiming secession, but uh, their movement was overshadowed by the attacks on Pearl Harbor and mostly faded away. There are still, though, people in that region who propose expanding uh, a, a Jefferson Territory in, in the top of California that's, and the bottom of Oregon. They, is, they want that Jefferson. That's amazing. I didn't realize that was still a... It's still a thing. A possible outcome. The state of Franklin, also known as the Free Republic of Franklin or the state of Frankland, was an unrecognized and uh, self-governing territory in what is today Eastern Tennessee. Right, yeah. And that was created in 1784 from part of the territory west of the Appalachian Mountains. And that had been offered by North Carolina... 
uh, to Congress to help pay off debts related to the American War for Independence. So what a lot of states were doing, they were saying like, okay, here the government can have this bit back. Then the government would sell off that those bits of land. I see. Um, and kind of regroup after the war because they we were so broke. However, there was actually a conspiracy in North Carolina um, that would have led to those lands that had been given up only sold to U.S. government officials. And <laughs> then so the government would have benefited from the sale to government officials. It was super shady. And the plan was discovered. A new government was elected. The deal was nullified, but the damage was done. And because of that, Tennessee kind of tried to distance themselves from that shady biz. Yeah. And uh, it kind of just petered out. There was a vote on it. Uh, They didn't make the vote. And so they were not our 14th state. The Church of Latter-day Saints in 1849 wanted their own state. Deseret would have contained parts of uh, what is now Utah, Mm -hmm. Arizona, Mm -hmm. California, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Wyoming. That sounds like a country more than a state. For sure. Uh, But the creation of the Utah Territory in 1850 put an end to the dreams of desert, and they they did not move forward with that at all. The proposed state of Superior, or Ontonagon. I like Superior better. Is the name of the quote-unquote 51st state uh, that was proposed involving the secession of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and possibly other portions of northern Michigan in some proposals. Why did they want to secede? Mostly, it was a combination of cultural differences, uh-huh. um, the natural geographic separation of of the lands, oh, okay. and the belief that uh, Lansing, Michigan, and Madison, Wisconsin, the, the, the big city folk, were not meeting the needs of those in this upper region uh, uh, that they were just kind of forgotten about. And so they were like, fine, we'll take care of ourselves. Uh, but... Uh, because of the size of that region, if it had broken off into its own state, it would have been the smallest state and they wouldn't have had the funds a, that they would have needed to contain, to float as a, as, a, as their own state. Um, so that didn't work out. I bet you Rhode Island was pissed. They were probably really cheering for them. Right. We're, we're not, not going to be the baby anymore. We're not the littlest anymore. Yeah. Didn't work out. No. Texlahoma. I love that. Which would have been a combination, obviously, of Utah and Wyoming. Was Texarkana a proposed state, or is that just what people call that region? I think that's just what people call that region. Okay. I don't know. Because it was down in Louisiana, just about a mile from Texarkana, in the old cotton fields back home. That's what I remember. I mean, that was kind of a stretch, but... <laughs> It was fun anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in the early 1900s, uh, a state made up of counties from Texas and Oklahoma was proposed. At this time, cars were becoming a really big deal. But these parts of the states, again, they were feeling like they weren't being paid attention to mm-hmm. by the, the big city government. 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 And so their roads really sucked. And they were like, we need better roads so that we can flourish. And so they wanted to break off, become their own state. But the 
front runner in issues why this didn't work out was Texans love being from Texas. Uh-huh. And they were so in enmeshed with the idea of being from Texas, they could not give that up to be from Texlahoma. <laughs> Pride and statehood. You have to love it though. <laughs> I do. I've been told that there is a gas station chain from Texas called Bucky's, and they've got some some delicious snacks there. Oh, uh, I look forward to trying them. Maybe while you're there, you can pop in and pick up some black ice car fresheners. I don't know why I might do that. <laughs> hmm. But uh, breaking off, doing your own thing is not just a thing of the past. In 2008, commissioners in North Lauderdale decided that enough was enough when it came to Florida taxes. And they claimed that they weren't getting fair treatment. They wanted to split Florida in two. They wanted there to be North Florida and South Florida. Hmm. Uh, it didn't work out. In February of 2011, Tucson politicians and activists formed a group called State Our State uh, to advocate secession for Pima County and other southern counties to create a state called Baja, Arizona. Really? The group wanted Pima County Board of Supervisors to put the issue on the 2012 ballot, but it was rejected. And so uh, the group still worked for it, but it kind of, again... You know, people get real excited about things and then kind of just, you know, yeah, well, I guess. Yeah. Let's just call it Jeff annoying. from now on. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. I spent many years in Tucson. It's one of my favorite cities. And the idea of it not being in Arizona is just, <clears throat> it's like heresy to me. <laughs> it's not proper. It's Tucson, Arizona. Well, it'd be Baja, Arizona. Yeah, but... No. No, it'd be Tucson, Baja, wouldn't it? Baja was going to be the state. It'd be Baja, Arizona. That's not a state, though, right? I mean... Yeah, it would be a state. Baja, Arizona. Oh, okay. Like South Carolina. Okay, so so it'd be Tucson, Baja, Arizona. Correct. Okay. That's going to be hard to get on the license plates. Speaking of which, um, in... um, 1939, there were parts of South Dakota, Wyoming, and... Wyoming? Wyoming and Montana that had attempted to break off and form their own state called Absaroka, named after the Absaroka Range of the Rocky Mountains. I do not know if I'm saying that right. Absaroka? Uh. So they didn't actually go to Congress to propose statehood. Um, so it it didn't move forward, mm-hmm. but they did make license plates and they did host their own beauty pageant. Wait, stop. Which Just, seems... <laughs> there is, you have like, to do things in a certain order. And I would the, think beauty pageant would be way down on the list. It was one of the first things that they did. They were mm. like, okay, so I think that we should do our own state. I agree. My daughter's the prettiest... Yeah, and we need new license plates. Right away. What's our state donut? Anyway, that petered off real quick. It sounds like it should have. Yeah, they weren't real focused. No. Anyway, that's what we've got. Uh, There are so many, uh, and it's fascinating. All of these, I love them. I love learning about them, but there are too many. Maybe I'll do a a, uh, 
propose states part two sometime. Well, I would look forward to that. That's that's really interesting. I, I love U.S. history anyway. And you kind of think of, you know, 50 states. That's the way it is. But I remember as a kid, we lived in this old house and I was up exploring in the attic mm. and I found a, an old flag up there and it only had 48 states on it. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. It is. 48 states? What? And it's interesting because states become states in different ways and for different reasons. And Maine is one of the few states that was part of another state. We used to be part of Massachusetts. And um, I think there was only like three that broke off in the same manner that we did. And yeah, Yeah. we're also, by the way, the only one syllable state. Uh, You're welcome. I did not know that. Yeah. You're right. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget the final 10 pair of VIP tickets to the February show at Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville go on sale. Wednesday at noon. Wednesday at noon. Oh, Eastern Standard Time. Yes, that's Eastern Time. Noon Eastern. And of course, there are general admission tickets. You can buy those whenever you want. I would like to see you there, please. Yes, it would be fantastic. Join us for the fun times-ness. Yeah, the fun times-ness, which would also be hard to get on a license plate. I'm very excited to eat lunch at the Wild Cow. Where did you hear about the Wild Cow? YouTubes. The YouTubes? The YouTube machine. It showed me a list of uh, vegetarian restaurants in Nashville, and you know we're going to all of them. Oh, we're also going to try to make a trek out to, uh, was it Pigeon Forge? The East Alcatraz Museum. I had no idea it was that close to Nashville. And so when when we discovered that we had the opportunity to go, I'm so jazzed. I'm going to see John Lintz bust. I, <laughs> I'm so excited. We're going to see Ted Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, that's I'm excited to see that. And thanks to Catherine Nelson for uh, sending us an email and alerting us of that. We're going to try to make that trek. Well, this the thing is I have a, a board for Tennessee on Pinterest. Like last year, I had pinned that I wanted to go to this museum, but I did not realize that it was close enough that we could make it on this trip. And so Catherine is my sweet murder museum guardian angel. Golf clap for you, Catherine. The Box of Oddities lands on your phone twice a week. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. And then gotten revealed. Now that's going to be stuck in my head. I'm so angry with you. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. 
Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.